0: So we're starting our summer of psalms. This is what we've done at Springbrook for a long, long time. We do the psalms in the summer. We just kind of pull, um, you know, as many weeks as we have of Sundays in the the summer. We pull that many psalms and we walk through them and talk through them. So each week kind of stands on its own in some way, uh, but all tethered into this book. Uh, And it's just a great way, I think, to kind of change the pace a little bit for the summer. Um, But today's psalm is Psalm 128. Uh, This is uh, a really beautiful psalm. It's one of the Songs of Ascents. And there's about 30 or so of these in the the book of Psalms. Song of Ascents is what the Israelites in the ancient world in in the Old Testament time would use basically as their hymn book. I know we don't have hymn books anymore. I don't know if you grew up in a church with a hymn book. Uh, I did, and you know you had a book, and everybody would stare into the book and sing the songs. Um, and now that, that's great. Now we have projectors, and that's arguably better. <laughs> um, but I think this is basically what they would have. They had these this collection of psalms that they would, as a congregation sing uh, while they are heading to Jerusalem, typically for a feast or a festival or the Passover. and there was just uh, a, there's a bunch of them, but this is one of them. And all the Psalms of Ascent are pretty short. This one only has six verses, and uh, it's not a real complicated psalm to, to unpack. It's pretty clear on, on the surface, but really helpful, I think, for, for us. So I think what we're going to do, what we should do here, is spend most or a good chunk of our time in just verse 1, because verse 1 really is just the explanation of the psalm it explains what the point is. It it gives us the the message. Uh, And then verses two through six, basically are are there to show us how this first verse works itself out in in our daily lives. So look at verse one with me. It simply says this, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So to understand the psalm, we have to understand that verse because that's the ver- that's the only real statement of hey, hey this is what we are called to. The rest of it just illustrates this point. So before we get into how it illustrates it and shows out shows up in our lives, we need to unpack what verse 1 is saying to us, which is blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So let's, let's work through that. What is, to do this, I've got to ask a few questions and answer a few questions. The first obvious question is, what does it mean to be blessed? Because that's the first word in the verse, right? Blessed or blessed, sometimes that's pronounced that way. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. So what does it mean to be blessed? Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word blessed, What comes to my mind is uh, maybe a little bit of PTSD from living in the South for a few years. I don't know if you've ever spent any time in the South. Don't if you haven't. Um, (laughs) I'm hostile. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. We lived, Crystal and I got married in our early 20s and moved to the South for a few years thinking we weren't going to miss winter and We missed winter, or can at least tolerate winter versus living there. So, uh, we would have these these women in the church that were typically in their 80s. They were, you know, sweet in their own way, but they would always say, usually when they're condescending, they would say, "Bless your heart." <laughs> and every time I hear the word "bless your heart" or the phrase, but I, I get a little bit of tingle and just anger and. Because what it means, it sounds really nice, but what it means is you're an idiot. That's what bless your heart actually means. So I was fooled the first couple times thinking, oh, this woman really cares about my heart. No, 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 she doesn't. Thankfully, though, that's not what the Bible means by blessed. (laughs) Uh, That's not the definition. Uh, It's not bless your heart in a condescending way. To be blessed... um, I think the best definition I came across is from a guy named Dane Ortland. He's a pastor in uh, Illinois, a uh, good Midwestern guy, so we can trust his definitions. And, um, no, but Dane Ortland says this: "To be blessed is to move through life with a settled depth of happiness that comes from walking with God and enjoying his fatherly favor. To be blessed means to live the human life the way it was meant to be lived. It is to enjoy a taste of Eden restored. I think that 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 phrase, to be blessed means to live the human life in the way it was meant to be lived, is such a helpful definition. Because that's really what the biblical definition, biblical understanding of this word blessed is. It is life that is ordered correctly. It is life that is actually uh, the way it's meant to be lived by God. It it is, I would say, one way that we could uh, define it is as the good life, a life that you're settled in, that you find contentment in Christ through, that you are finding uh, your joy in the Lord regardless of your circumstances. To be blessed, I think, is to live the good life that God has wired us to live as human beings. So that's a definition of being blessed, and I think that that is uh, a really helpful one. And so when you get into the New Testament and you read the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus begins with, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek, blessed are all these things. He's, he's saying that to, to be in the good life, to live life as it was meant to be lived, is to have these attributes. In this Psalm, it is, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. So how do we get in on the life that God has made us to get in on? How do we live in a settled depth of happiness by walking with the Lord and and experiencing his fatherly love? How do we live the human life in the way it was meant to be lived? The, The text doesn't leave us to wonder. It tells us how. It says, everyone who fears the Lord. To get into the good life the blessed life, the life that God has has for us and what he's designed us to be is entered into through fearing the Lord. So that leads us to the second question. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Again, I think these words sometimes carry different meanings depending on how we understand them or what we think of. And when we hear the word fear, I don't think most of us associate it with the with the biblical definition that's being used here. We think of emo- an emotional feeling that comes from uh, a sense of terror or horror, or maybe we associate fear with hiding, right? When we fear something, in the way that we typically use that, en- that word in English, it denotes the idea of trying to get away from that thing, right? Fear triggers something in the human Uh, mind that we would call, or psychologists, they call it, fight or flight, and there's a response to fear in in the way that we think of fear. And uh, so when we're afraid, we typically either go, I'm going to run from this and get away, or I'm going to just stand my ground and try to beat this fear into submission, and one of those responses typically is what what we do. But that's actually the exact opposite of what the Bible means by fear in this context. There are are times that the Bible uses the word fear in that same understanding, right? That when the the Bible says, do not be afraid, or do not fear, which it repeats hundreds of times throughout the scriptures, it's addressing that issue, right? Of of being emotionally afraid of something, uh, and, and to instead pivot our hearts to the Lord and trust him. But To fear the Lord means something entirely different in this context. It it means um, that we are living our life as if God actually exists. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It is to walk in a way that submits and bows to his kingship, that remembers his gracious redemption, to fear the Lord means that we yield our lives to his will and we seek to follow his ways as our gracious deliverer. And, and I think we can actually get to that definition in the psalm, in verse one, where it says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And then I think it actually defines what fearing the Lord means, who walks in his ways. So, to to fear the Lord is to live with your life ordered in such a way that you actually functionally believe that God exists and that He is who He says He is and that you're going to align your life to His ways and His will. To fear the Lord is to to have this humble respect and adoration for God. We, We do not want to be functional atheists. Functional atheists are people who may say that there's a God, but then live as if he doesn't exist. You can be an intellectual atheist and believe that God doesn't exist at all, and then you're you're off to the races, and also, the Bible says, a a fool. But for those of us who profess to believe in in God, or at least a God, um, the logical conclusion of that is that we should actually live as if that, that God exists and is who He says he is. And as Christians, we submit ourselves to the true God, the one and only God, the God of the Bible, who has made himself known to us fully through Jesus Christ and through his written word. And so we, to live the blessed life is to fear the Lord and to fear the Lord is to live in his ways, to walk in the way in which he has wired us to live. There's, there's one more thing that I think we need to define from this passage, from this verse, before we get into the illustrations of the blessed life. And that is the question, who can get in on this? Is it just for the religious elites? Or is it just for people of a certain demographic? Or who is it for? And the, the text tells us, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. If you are willing to fear the Lord, you can get in on this. It is open to anyone who brings their life under submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is open to all. And so I think to put this all together, <laughs> what it means to be blessed, what it means to fear the Lord, what it means to get in on this, we can simply say this. It's Everyone can live the life that God created us to live If we're willing to submit our lives to him with him at the center through trusting in Christ. What it means to be blessed, what it means to live the blessed life is to live our lives with Christ at the center. Because if Christ is at the center of our lives, then regardless of what happens in life to us, we have an eternal home with him. We have spiritual blessings, which we'll get to towards the end of this. We will unpack some of this, but we have, we have our lives exactly where God wants them to be, even if our external circumstances do not get us uh, always to the, to the ideal of what we would, how we would define that. So let's look at then the rest of this psalm, because there's only five verses left. And uh, The rest of this really just shows us, it illustrates how the blessed or fulfilled life looks in the world. Now, admittedly, uh, it can be very easy to read a psalm like this and kind of play the checklist game and go, do I have that in my life? Do I have this in my life? And if I don't, then I'm not blessed or I'm somehow excluded from this. That is not how this is meant to be seen. You are not a lesser person if you don't see the things that are in this psalm present in your life right now or in the way that you thought it would. What this psalm is doing is it's giving us a picture of how the life of a person who fears the Lord and walks in his ways will look for many, if not most people, but not all people. Um, we have to understand we live in a fallen world. This, m- much of this is ideal. We, we can see much of this in our lives, but we won't see all of it all the time. And so I want to start with that caveat because I don't want anyone here to be discouraged in that if I'm not somehow measured up to this psalm, then I am not blessed. That's not the, that's not the takeaway that I want you to have. And I'll try to articulate some of that more as we go. But I think that for, for most people, or at least many, many people, this, this way in which the psalm articulates life is how we will experience the blessing of God, at least on this side of heaven. There's a, there's a better blessing to be had through Christ, and that is in eternity, which is where we'll land the plane in a moment. But I want you to know that this is just what life on earth can look like. And it's an example of it. Okay, so let's look at it. Verse two, I think there are three uh, kind of characteristics or markers of the blessed life in this psalm. Verse two is the first one. Verse three and four is the second. And verse five and six is the third. So we'll take each of those in turn. Verse two says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. The first marker of a blessed life, according to the psalm, is a productive job or role in society. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. In in the context of ancient Israel, a productive job meant having a farm that was fruitful and productive so that you had plenty of food to feed your family and plenty to share with others. In ancient Israel, as with the time of Christ, was an agrarian society. They farmed, they would fish, they they depended on the land. We maybe do so depending on who we are and what our jobs are, but uh, not all of us do, right? Many of us have jobs in which we work in an office or, or have a, a different role or our stay-at-home mom or whatever the case is for each of us individually. But I think the principle here is not that we all have to have a farm that then produces the fruit that we get to eat from, but that we have some productive role to play in our society. That means using your talents or your mind or your hands, uh, depending on how God has gifted you and wired you, in order to offer a product or a service or sustenance to allow uh, you to provide for your family and ideally for you to help others. That's what a productive role looks like where you are able to use the gifts that God has given you to to earn a living for your immediate family, for your spouse, for your children, caring for your household and hopefully from there be able to contribute to the needs of others. For some, that work is gonna be done in the home. For others, it'll be done outside the home. But I think that the, the picture of the blessed life that's being Given to us here is that you would have something of productivity to bring into the world, that you would eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. And, and I don't know where you're at on this, but I think a lot of people do would actually disagree with this notion that a productive job is a, a part of the blessed life, because I think so many of us can be dissatisfied with our work, and we can be very discontented by our jobs. And we don't see it as the blessing from God that it actually is. I think one of the things that we can do to combat that that understanding of work is that work was inherently given to mankind before sin entered into the world. Work is not a problem. Sin is a problem. Adam and Eve were given roles and a job to do in the world before sin ever came into a thought of their heads. But now that sin has entered into the world, scripture tells us that work will become more difficult. It's, it's labor. That's actually stated here, right? The fruit of the labor of your hands, not the fruit of laying in a hammock. You work for that, for that fruit. There is a sense in which that is, that does require hard work to get there. Um, But the joy of that work is that you will have something of productive nature to to receive, whether that's a a pay or whether that's the the joy of what you're doing or hopefully a combination of those things. The fruit of the labor of our hands means that we've got to keep our eyes on the fruit that God gives us through what we do but that working and having a job is actually a biblical good. It, it is, it's reaffirmed in the New Testament a number of times, but one of the places where it's reaffirmed is in Paul's letter to, uh, I believe it's uh, Timothy, who says, where, he, where he says, if, if you don't provide for our, our own families, we're worse than unbelievers. So as Christians, we, we have to have a value of work. And, I, and he says to the Thessalonians, this this thing that you you've got to be out in society doing something with yourself you can't just be idle the bible calls us to not embrace idleness all the time so the scriptures teach us that there is good to be had in work now So much of our work can be hard and dissatisfying and difficult because of either what we're doing or because of our own expectations of what we should be doing or what we thought we would be doing and we may feel like life has passed us by. Um, But listen, I think what we should do is actually change our attitudes about our work and in those moments of discouragement, be grateful to the Lord that we have this ability to do this. I think so much of it comes down to how we how we respond to the circumstances. So there's that. Let's go on to the second thing, verse three and four. It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So the second marker of the blessed life, the second indicator of a blessed life, at least on this side of heaven and this, in this earth, uh, is a joyful home with a spouse and children. Now, I want to say at the top of this, if you're not married, and I know a number of you are in the room and you're not married, or if you're in the room and you don't have children, you're not excluded from the blessed life. Okay, that's not, this is not exclusively how it's defined. This is an example of it. There are examples in the scripture of both men and women who are called to singleness or, or are not given the blessing of children. And that is not portrayed as they are somehow lesser. Jesus was single you can't say he had a bad life except for the cross part, right? But he resurrected, and he's on in heaven now. Not married, regardless of what the Da Vinci Code wants you to think. Uh, but he's not, right? And he, he's eternally got. So he models something for us in that. That is good. Now you can go. You can go. Well, that's Jesus, okay? And I get that. Uh, but the Apostle Paul also was clear in the fact that he was not a married man, and he was able to devote the time of his singleness to the ministry of the gospel. These are not lesser callings. They're just different callings. So, so listen, that's, I want you to know that. This psalm is giving us a picture of the general view of life that it's been blessed by fearing the Lord. It's not the individual view for every single human being who has ever walked this earth. So please hear that. Now, transitioning, though, to what these verses are saying to us, which is that we need and ought to value family in our society and in our churches in particular and in every society, right? I know that we're living kind of in a time where it it appears and it it is the reality in some cases that people are trying to tear down the, the family. This has been happening forever, okay? If we could get into a time machine and go to the Roman empire days, we'd be horrified. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's always been happening, right? Family values have, because we're sinners, uh, have often been broken down. And we are living in a time when that's true. But as Christians, we ought to be living in a different way, for one thing, the way in which God calls us to live, which is to value our marriages and our children, The the blessed life in this psalm is described as having a wife who is like a fruitful vine. Now, I'm going to explain what that means. That doesn't mean barefoot and pregnant for her whole life, okay? That's That's not what that means. What it does mean, what the imagery or the analogy of the fruitful vine involves, is that she is a bringer of joy to her husband and her children, Vines produce grapes. Grapes produce wine, and the Bible tells us that wine was given to gladden the hearts of men. Don't abuse that, but that's, that's where it is. It's the Bible, okay? So you can have a, take it up with Jesus. Um, so here's the thing. That's the analogy, the fruitful vine. Now, it does include having children, obviously. Um, women, I don't know if you knew this, but women are made to bear children. They are. That's how... They were, they, they're the only ones who can. So if you give up, we're all, we're all done. Don't give up. Uh, but so yes, of course that bringing children into the world is a part of this. But the, the analogy or the imagery that's being used here is that it, there is a joyfulness that comes from a godly marriage. And, and then we see that the children are a role in this too, that the children will be like olive shoots around your table Olive shoots are, is an imagery for uh, lots of potential and lots of energy, uh, sometimes too much of, of both. But we see that the idea is a, a, a blessed life involves a joyful family around a table celebrating what God has done. Before we move on from here, I want to I wanna say this. I think it's important we note this that just as the fruit of the labor of your hands involves work and effort, uh, it doesn't just happen, so true of a joyful home. Joyful homes don't just happen. Joyful homes require effort. It requires that we love our spouses well and we actually train our children to walk faithfully in godliness. This doesn't come by accident, it's intentionality. It's actually what the Bible says, right? We're to walk in his ways and to walk in his ways in the context of marriage and children is to do what the Bible says we should do, which is to love our wives, if you're a husband, respect your husband, if you are a wife, and to raise your children to know and love Jesus. A great summary verse for this, at least for the marriage component, is Ephesians 5.33, where Paul says, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's not complicated. Uh, It can be extremely difficult, no doubt, because we're sinful jerks, but um, it's not difficult. So here's a good rule of thumb for a happy marriage. Don't be a jerk. Can start there. I just saved you hours of marriage counseling, by the way. Just hours. I just put Chris out of a job right there. Boom. You do not need any more help. Just don't be a jerk. That's a great place to start at least. Joyful homes happen as we put in the effort to love and respect and raise our kids to love Jesus. Okay. Final component of the blessed life five and six. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The third marker, maybe we could divide this into two markers, but I'm just going to kind of combine them into one. Um, I think the third marker of the blessed life is this, to have a... um, joyful, beautiful church community and to live long enough on earth to see your grandchildren. Those are the two things it mentions. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Now, in the New Testament era where we are living, Jerusalem, the city (coughs) in Israel, is not what we are primarily called to see prosper. We are called to see the community of faith in which we are under the banner of Jesus Christ in the gospel, which is the local church. We want to see that prosper and find joy in it. If, if you want to have a life that is ordered properly, belonging to a healthy local church is a absolute part of it. It's a part of it. And, and, I, and I just... I hope, we're not, we're not a perfect church, but I hope we're growing towards joy and beauty. We have, we have a long way to go, of course, because we're all, again, sinners that struggle with this. But the prosperity of the city of Jerusalem in, in the New Testament context under Christ is not to see Jerusalem itself um, thrive, but it's to see our local churches thrive and to grow and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And then the final marker here of this is that we would live to see our children's children. That we would actually have a long enough life on this earth where we would have the joy of seeing our grandkids. This is really uh, kind of the fruition of the blessed life as it gets passed on to the next generation. And the longevity of life, while that can have its own you know, curses along with it. Um, it. There's also joy in it, in that we get to see the next generation come into our families and have a model for them. Again, this is, this is a picture of a joyful or a, a productive job, a joyful home, and, and a thriving community of faith. And these things are pictures uh, images or or markers of a blessed life on earth. But if we only focus on the blessings we have here on earth, we're actually missing the whole point of what Jesus came to accomplish, which is to give us far more than just life on earth, these 70, 80, or 90 years that we may have, and for some less than that and some maybe a little more. But that ba- that's not all we're living for. What well, we're ultimately on earth for is an eternal life with Jesus forever. And what he has accomplished for us gets us to that, regardless of what the rest of our life may look like. If you genuinely feel like your life has passed you by and that none of these things have been in fruition, you can cling to the hope of the gospel that you will be blessed and it will be well with you because Jesus has accomplished all the things for you. That's where Paul goes in Ephesians chapter three. uh, Excuse me, chapter one, verses three through six. He says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul goes on to explain how that blessing has come about by the death of Christ on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, and through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So even if your earth, life here on earth now, at this moment in time, and listen, it ain't over till it's over, okay? If you, if you feel like there's things that you're lacking, God may still give you those things. You just don't know. You're still here. But maybe not. And that's not really what we're shooting for. We're not shooting for the, the, the perfect human life. It's almost unattainable because of sin, But what we can be shooting for, what we ought to be laying our lives down for is this picture of the blessed life in Ephesians. That if we are in Christ through faith in him, we lack nothing at all. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Not some, every spiritual blessing. Because Christ chose us, he died for us, he rose again to give us salvation. He lives to intercede for us now and he's given us his spirit. That is where we ultimately find the blessed life. And yes, the things from Psalm 128 can be and hopefully are present in your life in some regard. But if you're always aiming at that and never aiming at Jesus, you're gonna miss both. You're gonna miss both. If you're aiming for Jesus you may hit both, but you'll at least have what really matters. You still win, win, that's right. (laughs) C.S. Lewis says, if you aim at earth, you will not get heaven thrown in, but if you aim at heaven, you'll get both thrown in. And I think that that's, that's really the heart of this, is let's keep our eyes on Jesus for the blessings that he has for us eternally. And if he so chooses to bless us beyond that, then praise him. And if he doesn't, you're not at a loss. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through him. All right, let me pray for us. God, we thank you uh, for your your goodness and grace in our lives. We thank you that you have shown us uh, what it is in some regard to have a blessed life here on earth. And yet, Lord, we know that this picture from psalm 128 is not the end all be all it is the icing on the cake and we thank you god that you have given us the substance of blessing through christ we pray you would let us lean into that through your work for us through your efforts through what you've done in the cross and through your resurrection and we pray that we would walk in this life with joy knowing that our circumstances don't define us but, but that fearing the Lord means we, we live as if you are real, and you are. So we pray you would help us in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.